As we, uh, as we begin, let us look to the Lord in prayer and ask even his blessing on our Sunday school hour. Let's bow. Lord, thank you for the joy and opportunity to be gathered together with brothers and sisters. We delight for reasons that your word makes clear, that resound in our believing hearts. We delight to know that the one who has saved us and by whom you have forgiven us is ours for all of eternity. And we pray that you might give us great joy in uh, trusting him more even through our time together this uh, Sunday school hour. I thank you, Lord, that you have worked kindly in answering prayer In Ashley's life, we pray importantly and eternally that you might capture her soul, her heart, and turn her through salvation, through the gospel, through your son, to yourself. I pray that you would bless uh, in Jack's life. Thank you for the care that we can receive and I pray that that care might be beneficial in his uh, life and body I pray that you would keep him trusting and looking to you we pray this in Christ's name Amen Uh, so I mentioned last week and you can uh, distribute flyers I think there's a number of those Um, flyers is probably not the right word handouts um uh, I mentioned last week that we'd uh, be continuing on the theme of God's sovereignty, um, especially looking to Job, um, and I want to hopefully spend a good amount of time in Job 19. This is the last of the weeks that I'm going to do some prefatory work uh, by way of thinking about eschatology, and we're going to jump into millennialism. Uh, is the topic that we'll begin with um, and thinking about the millennium. Um, that's what is what I'm planning for uh, the uh, weeks uh, to come. Um, I'm going to interrupt that probably with one um, with one Sunday school uh, time that will deal with subjects uh, related to our upcoming conference. Uh, with Pastor Parker, beginning of October, but I'll save that to a little closer to that time. But as we think about sovereignty, and especially sovereignty related to eschatology, um, I was reminded um, a little while ago that uh, the best uh, judge of how people are learning isn't if they can pare it back an outline or fill in the blanks that were given to them previously, but if they can put it in their own words and uh, make sense of it in their own words. And so I asked two questions in that regard uh, to review from last week. What is God's sovereignty? What is God's sovereignty? We actually touched on this at least a little bit on Wednesday night as well. What is God's sovereignty? How would you define that? He's in charge. That's a great. <laughs> that's a great, uh, 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 simple uh, way of way of talking about that. Good. God's in charge. Yep. His authority, yeah, his authority. The word authority is a great word for helping understand God's sovereignty. Yes. Any others? I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm going to. So. Uh, we mentioned last week how his power is always related to his sovereignty. It's not identical to his sovereignty, but we have to think about his sovereignty in light of his power. Yep. God is all-powerful, all-powerful with what authority? All-powerful in what areas? Uh, everything. That would be God's sovereignty. Um, um, how is God's sovereignty, number two there, different from human sovereignty? 
and in every way. <laughs> yeah, so I think we don't have full sovereignty, right? Right? What, what uh, maybe a prefatory question of that, what would be some examples of human sovereignty? Yes, <laughs> your self-care. <laughs> yep. Okay, I, I was thinking even of more obvious examples, like really obvious examples of human sovereignty. Government's authority. Government's authority. So a, a government has sovereignty over the people whom it governs, right? A good. Um, the most uh, obvious uh, ancient example of that is kings, pharaohs, uh, the like. Uh, what about those of you who are parents? You have sovereignty where? Well, <laughs> well, well, you do, but uh, the, the, the hardship is that it's different than the degree and, and uh, uh, perfection of God's sovereignty, right? So th- that leads to the, the question that I ask, how is human sovereignty different from God's sovereignty? And you, you can nicely categorize it by everything, but what would be some obvious particulars What we eat. Decide what you eat. Yes, yes. Um, what are some limitations to that sovereignty over what you eat? Yes, yes. Probably your budget. <laughs> Probably your budget. Um, what? What about? What about when we think of? Uh, rulers and kings and pharaohs. What are limit? What are differences between their sovereignty and God's sovereignty? There, in human terms, there are spheres of sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Brent cannot argue in our home that we should break the laws of Minnesota mm-hmm. or the United States. I mean, those are different spheres of sovereignty. Yes. Even than going back to church. Mm-hmm. Which is a different yet mm-hmm. sphere of sovereignty. Yes. So yes. Our human sovereignty is always subject to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, if you if you think about that in terms of the president of the United States, what what can the president of the United States, uh, to the degree that he has sovereignty, and we can uh, let's not go down those rabbit trails politically, but um, to the degree that he has sovereignty, and he has some kinds of sovereignty, at least. Um, to the degree that he has sovereignty in his office, what uh, authority does he have in Peru or Chile or fill in the blank, right? So the, the, the limitations are limited by the sphere, which is exactly your, your good, good point. Limited by the sphere? Yes? Human Yes, especially when we think, I think, are you going down the, the idea of his power? Yeah. Okay, so we might have sovereignty in an area, but be unable to do that which we would like to do in our sovereignty over whatever sphere we have sovereignty over. Um, we might have sovereignty in what we eat, um, but we might have limitations otherwise. Um, uh, a pharaoh or a king might have sovereignty uh, over his country, but be unable, because of his lack of power, uh, to fulfill the things that he desires to do. Uh, Good. So power. If I were going to summarize it uh, briefly, I would say all of God's character is rightly related to the kind of sovereignty that he has. Whereas for us, our character is sometimes, sometimes uh, we aren't consistent in, in human. We, we as humans are not consistent. Uh, and so sometimes our character is showing in good ways. Sometimes our character is showing in bad ways. 
there's a disconnect. So God's wisdom, God's love, God's justice, uh, all of who God is in his character uh, uh, is shown perfectly in his sovereignty, whereas uh, not uh, when you come to humans. But uh, moving on, what I like to do is I like to get to Job 19, but I like to do that uh, not by just diving into Job 19, but by giving a a good bit of the backstory. Uh, whenever you're telling a story, if you just tell the punchline, uh, that story doesn't go very far in, in its weight, right? It doesn't make as much of an impact. So what I would like to do is I would like to pull in more of the story. And we're going to start then with uh, Job and his response in Job 16. He's responding to what was just said by Eliphaz. And the question that I would like us to ask as we consider Job uh, 16 is, why does God see his comforters, uh, sorry, why does God, why does Job, why does Job see his comforters, and maybe God sees them the same way, but uh, why does Job see his comforters as discouraging him rather than encouraging him? And what I like to do is I like to read through um, Job 16, and we'll do that in uh, sections. Uh, If you're willing to read, that's a great help this morning. We'll do a good bit of reading. But who would like to take the first five verses of Job 16? Yes, I'll give that uh, back there to Samantha. And then who would like to take verse 6 through 17? Isaiah, I'll give that to you. And then who would like to take the last verses, verses 18 through the end? Okay, as we read, be thinking, why does Job see his comforters as discouraging him rather than encouraging him? He's going to give an explanation as to why he sees them discouraging. So beginning there in those first uh, five verses, and you don't have to stop for me to introduce the next section, Isaiah and then uh, Tabitha. Uh, Job 16.1. So it's very clear that Job's friends are discomforters and not comforters. That first, uh, uh, the first sentence which Job speaks, I have heard many such things 
Sorry, comforters are you all. Um, why? Why does Job see them as sorry comforters? Mm-hmm. He knows some things they don't about his walk with God. Mm-hmm. And he sees that they are jumping, they are presuming conclusions that Job knows aren't true mm-hmm. about his character and his walk with God. Yes. Right? So they've they've made assumptions about uh, the reasons for why God is doing what he's doing. Um, it's interesting in the book of Job, no one, uh, no one uh, who's uh, interacting with Job thinks that it's other than God who's doing something, that God is the ultimate actor behind. So the sovereignty is implicit throughout all of the, uh, all of, all of the, the book. But Job knows uh, that the things that they're trying to uh, tell them are the reason why this is happening aren't actually the reason. Why else does Job's or Job's comforters not a comfort to him, as we see here? Verse seven. How does that uh, help us understand why Job's comforters aren't a comfort? But now he has exhausted me. Um, And what was the wording in the SV, Isaiah? Warn me out. out, And then the next phrase? He has made me desolate, all my company. Okay. So it is he there instead of you. Interesting. Okay. But... Uh, God exhausting um, uh, the he there is obviously reference to to God. How would that help us in understanding why Job's comforters aren't a comfort? So Job understands that his friends don't think rightly about his problem. How does Job think about his problem? Um, uh, or verse 11. Would, would verse 11 help you not think it's Satan? Someone else other than Satan. So Job doesn't know. So we have all this knowledge that Job doesn't know. Job doesn't know that God said he's blameless and then that God gave authority to Satan to, uh, to do things to him. So Job isn't thinking in terms of Satan. Rather, he's thinking in terms of verse 11, who, who brought the, the problems? God. God. So... Um, the same, the same uh, is the, the the he in verse uh, seven is is God. Um, verse nine, his anger has torn me down and hunted me down. Verse nine, he has gnashed me at me with his teeth. Um, verse uh, verse twelve continues the God handing me over to the ruffians idea. Verse eleven. Um, I was at ease, but he shattered me and he has grasped me by the neck and shaken me to pieces. Um, Who is the he referring to? It's referring to God. Yes. So Job isn't thinking that his comforters aren't comforting uh, just because they they have the wrong uh, cause. He's also thinking that his comforters aren't comforting him because uh, who is he thinking is the one bringing the discomfort? I hear I hear some 
inclinations, shaking of head. So God is the one who, who Job sees behind his problems. God is the one to blame for, even in Job's mind, God is the one who is the one bringing these, uh, these things into his life. Um, and I think we see this, uh, um, I think we see this uh, even as we uh, continue into chapter 17. Uh, so if, if Job is not thinking that it's his uh, comforters who are being comforted him to him because they don't understand the situation, he also thinks that he has a bigger problem uh, he has a bigger problem than the problem that uh, his his comforters think he has. The, the bigger problem that Job has, the thing that's emphasized in Job 16, is it's God who's behind his problems, Job's problems. Okay? Um, chapter 17, what do Job's words to his comforters sound like and why? What, how, when you think about uh, characterizing what kind of uh, words these sound like as he's uh, replying to Eliphaz? Uh, what does it sound like? Um, lots of different things we can use our voice for. What does this section of what Job is saying uh, sound like? Um, let us read in uh, three sections, if you will. Um, who would like to read the first five verses? Dan, Daniel, um, and then who would like to read verses six through ten? Give that to you, and then verses eleven through sixteen. Alethea, okay, let's uh, read. Chapter nineteen. Seventeen. Okay. Seventeen. Okay. First five verses. There we go. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> my breath is corrupt. My days are extinct. The graves are ready for me. Are there not mockers with me? And doth my eye continue in their provocation? Lay down now. Put me in a surety with thee. Who is he that will strike hands with me? For thou hast hid their heart from understanding. Therefore, not, thou not hast helped them. He that speaketh flattery to his friends, even the days of his children shall fail. He hath made me also a byword of the people, and aforetime I was as a temper. Mine eye is also dim by reason of sorrow, and all my members are as a shadow. The upright, verse 8. The upright are appalled at this, and the innocent stirs himself up against the godless. Yet the righteous upholds, or holds to his way, and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. But you come on again, all of you, and I shall not find a wise man among you. My days are past, and my plans are broken off. The desire of my heart. They make night into day, saying, The light is near in the presence of darkness. If I look for Sheol as my home, I make my bed in the darkness. If I call to the pit, you are my father, to the worm, my mother, and my sister. Where now is my hope? And who regards my hope? Will it go down with me to Sheol? Shall we together go down? What does this sound like when you hear what Job is saying there in chapter 17? It sounds really hopeless. Uh, Death is coming. Um, Discouragement. Maybe maybe we would use the word despair. Um, My spirit is broken. The grave is ready for me, that, that first verse. So then, uh, Bildad replies, and that is the uh, subject of chapter 18. Chapter 18, why don't I just uh, divide that rather closely to uh, uh, the middle? So someone want to read the first uh, 11 verses? First 11 verses? Uh, Rochelle? And then verse 12 and on to the end. Chapter 18. Isaiah. And the question that I'd like us to think about is, how does Bildad respond? And especially when you know, uh, thinking about what Job's circumstances are, 
um, what do you hear of what Bildad is saying in in terms of what uh, Job has already gone through? So here is uh, here is Bildad responding to Job. How does Job, uh, Bildad, sorry, uh, respond to Job? What does he characterize Job as? Wicked. One who, to use the words of the last verse, does not know God. Um, What else does Job do? Or sorry, I keep saying Job, but I read Bildad. What else does Bildad do? While he's telling his story of uh, what the the result of of all the wickedness of the wicked looks like in the life of a wicked person, um, verse four: "O you who tear yourself in your anger, tearing yourself in your anger, what does that remind you of? Remind you of anything?" Job, we probably wouldn't use the word tear. We would use the word scrape. That help any? I'll I'll keep going. Um, The light of the wicked goes out. The flame of his fire gives no light. That's talking about death being near. Okay. Um, What about... Um, verse 11, all around terrors frighten him and harry him at every uh, step. So all around there's problems and hardships, trials, uh, calamity. Um, what about this? He is torn from the security of his tent. Are you catching anything of what Bildad's doing here? What? Some of those things sound Yes, yes. Or verse uh, 15, 
There dwells in his tent. Nothing of his brimstone is scattered on his habitation. Now we uh, rightly associate brimstone with what? Fire. And uh, you, you go back and you think of what God did. Okay. Um, or, or here, verse 19. Uh, the, the wicked person has no offspring or posterity among his people. So what is Bildad doing? At least, he, at least in part, he's putting into his story of what a wicked person is exactly the kinds of things that God had brought on Job. Um, but Job knows that uh, to say that Job doesn't know God isn't true. Job knows that's not true. Job knows he's, he's not wicked. And so his, his big problem is with God. God, why are you bringing all of these uh, calamities upon me? I don't deserve this. And now everyone around me thinks I deserve this, right? Which then leads to uh, Job 19. And I would like to especially think about uh, God's sovereignty in uh, the, the, first, the first majority of uh, Job 19. Uh, God's sovereignty. We're going to read down through verse. Uh, why don't we just read through verse 22? Because then uh, Job. Uh, no, we'll read down through verse 24. Um, but verse the first 12 verses. Uh, who would like to read? Thank you. And then verse 13 through 24. Someone else. Okay. So let's read uh, Job 19. Be thinking about how Job's reply points to God's sovereignty in these verses. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have error, my error remains with me. If indeed you magnify yourself against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, and know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his tent or his net above me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walked up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness on my He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He brings me down on every side, and I am gone. And my hope has he pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me, and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their seat ramp against me, and the camp around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me, and Thank you. Um, as they were reading, did you note God's sovereignty here? <clears throat> who is the one? Who is the one who is acting in Job's life? God. How do you see that in these verses? Yeah. 
Well, yes, but even in these verses, it tells us that God is doing this. Uh, uh, what what language in these verses points to God as the one who's acting? There, there's an active voice, but I'm not understanding because the fact that somebody asks, acts does not itself communicate sovereignty. Right. I mean, oh. an evil do. I mean, if a robber comes into my house, they may overpower me. But that itself does not indicate sovereignty. Right. Um, the the way that uh, the way that Job is thinking about these actions uh, doesn't at all point to the fact that he's just thinking that their actions done without uh, God thinking of Himself as the one in charge. So like verse, uh, the, the first verse that I think of when I think of uh, God being the one uh, acting, yes, but acting because um, he has authority in, in Job's life. He has authority for ill. He has authority for good. He has authority in every area. Um, uh, is verse six. Uh, know then that God has wronged me and has closed his net around me. So God is the one um, that that Job understands is the the if we would use human language like like Job is using, God is the culprit. Um, well, and that's exactly what puzzles me because we would people who do culprits mm-hmm. are generally people who don't have sovereignty. That's the whole point. They're doing something wrong. Right, right. Um, I think I think that because I am thinking of this in view of how Job is introduced in the very beginning of the book, um, we're seeing God showing Himself as bringing these uh, afflictions into Job's life through Satan, and so it's all it's all in the backdrop of God's sovereignty that this book is is undertaken. That's one of the comforts that. Um, that is brought forth at the end of the book of Job um, as as uh, the one encouraging comforter uh, speaks is that God is in control of everything. So the uh, uh, for chapter 40, the 40s and, and such, um, the, the whole one of one of the whole points of the book is God's sovereignty. And so to 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 not see God's sovereignty, when A, he's acting, and B, the rest of the book understands everything that's happening in light of God's sovereignty, I think is a, a misstep logically. But, uh, what, what are you thinking? Uh, you were, you're going to contribute something. I see a real disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yes, the book, the book definitely is in the context of God's sovereignty. But we also see the disconnect that what Job is understanding mm-hmm. is, is a very minuscule aspect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. of what God is doing and of his sovereignty. So maybe the question is, are you seeing God's sovereignty from the book as a whole or from verse 6? Um. Uh, from the book as a whole, understanding the whole of the book in view of the particular language, then in verse, uh, so okay, God I God doesn't act a, uh, separate from His sovereignty, right? Right. But uh, but verse six is focused on on His action and not His sovereignty is the point also, that you're trying to make. But also Job's misunderstanding mm-hmm. of what God is, of God's sovereignty in His own life. Yep. I mean, he wouldn't call God a culprit right. if he were fully right. comprehending the sovereignty of God. Well, what I'm going to argue is that the next verses, uh, verse 25 and, and 26, um, Job points to um, the more foundational understanding that he has of God, even though he doesn't understand all the things that God God is doing and how he can in his... Uh, sovereign power uh, do these actions in his life uh, 
he, he has a more foundational understanding of God that uh, at least A, Job is more correct than, than his counterparts, right? Uh, and, yeah, <laughs> sadly, not taking much. But uh, B, um, in, in this regard, he gets it really right in verses 25 and 26, which is what we'll see. Um, but uh, concede that concede that God is acting here, and I am I, I am uh, interpreting this in view of the larger context of the whole book. So totally totally uh, understand that point. Um, is God is God doing something that is outside of His authority? When verse eight, He walled me up uh, so I cannot pass. He walled up my way so I cannot pass. Um, or is God doing something outside of what he has authority to do when in verse 8 he has put darkness on my paths or verse 9 he has stripped my honor from me Uh, or verse 10 he breaks me down on every side Um, or verse 11 he has kindled his anger against me Um, and uh, another reason why I see um, uh why I see God at work here in ways that are uh, powerfully uh, indicative of um, his authority um, and his uh, uh, domain is that uh, verse 22 parallels what God is doing with what the uh, Job's friends are doing. Uh, so verse 22, what God is doing is paralleled with what uh, Job's friends are doing. God has come and has persecuted me. Uh, that's the language. Why do you persecute me? As God does. So God has uh, brought persecution into uh, Job's life. Job understands that since God is authoritative, since God is uh, has dominion in uh, the realm of trials, that there's nothing he can do to stop that, right? And then you get friends who in the domain of friendship, right, in the realm of the area of friendship are working to great, uh, working to great uh, distraction and distress for, um, uh, for Job, just like God is doing. Uh, why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? Um, the, uh, Joe is saying, there's, there's nothing that will convince you until I say that what you're saying is right. Uh, you're going to keep coming at me with the same kind of intensity that God has already come at me with. Um, then he turns in verses 23 and 24, which are the immediate context of the verses I want to Uh, get to Um, he turns and says I need a testimony I need something to be a witness for me and I'm going to try to make this witness as permanent as I can and so um, this particular language of an iron stylus and lead and engraving in a rock uh, this uh, is actually a particular form of writing that was used in ancient times to try to uh, make the writing notable and the longevity of the writing uh, to be um, uh, longer. Uh, they would take and they would engrave the letters in the stone. And then if they wanted it to be very noticeable, they would coat the engraving, the engraved part of the stone with lead. And then the, the reflection of the sunlight off of those that, that uh, the, uh, the look of that would be all the more apparent. Uh, so that's the point of verse 23 and uh, 24. Job wants a witness for himself. But uh, verse 25 and 26, why should we believe Job uh, in Job 19 and 25 and 26 speaks of God's co- uh, Job's confidence in God? Confidence is the blank. And I think that... Uh, if we look to these uh, verses, verse 25 and 26, we should think of God himself as being the one who is going to be uh, the testifier, 
the helper to Job in his plight. Now we know this uh, this language from uh, the uh, the work of Handel. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. As we uh, think about this, uh, these uh, two verses here, why should we believe that Job 19, 25, and 26 speaks of Job's confidence in God? Anyone thought about these verses in particular before? in terms of the confidence that Job has in God. Otherwise, I'll, I'll mention a few uh, I'll mention a few things because of time's sake. I'll just uh, fly through them. Note, Job's language is language of confidence. He begins, uh, as for me, I know. This, this is language of assertion, language of uh, confidence that he's using. I know, and what does he know? I know that my Redeemer lives. Now that word Redeemer is really important. Um, that word Redeemer is the word Goel in, in Hebrew. It's the word that is sometimes translated kinsman Redeemer. Uh, it's used uh, to speak of different obligations that someone who is a, a kinsman to another person has in defending the security and rights of his fellow kinsmen. And so there were particular obligations that a kinsman redeemer, this is the language that's used there, that a kinsman redeemer has. Uh, In the Old Testament commands, there were uh, particular commands given to the kinsman redeemer. So for example, if someone was murdered, the kinsman redeemer had the responsibility to go and avenge that murder. Uh, and I can give references if somebody wants them. I, I can uh, provide you with those uh, later. But uh, I'm just going to run through some of the things that the kinsman redeemer is obligated for. Um, if a brother was taken cap- captive or sold into bondage, then the kinsman redeemer was obligated to help in paying off the debts and um, uh, freeing him. Um, when a person was forced uh, to sell their property or um, otherwise be deprived of their property, then a kinsman redeemer was uh, to pay the debt so that the property could come back into the family name. Um, If a kinsman died, this is the one you probably are most familiar with, if a kinsman redeemer dies, his brother is supposed to uh, uh, come in with his wife so that there would be a, a lineage raised up in the absence uh, of the uh, of the husband. The kinsman redeemer is to raise up um, um, a heritage, a lineage to uh, his uh, relative. Um, if there were uh, if there were rights of a brother who were who who was uh, wronged then the kinsman redeemer was responsible to bring a, a lawsuit to secure the, the, the uh, uh, paying back the writing of those rights. Um, all of those things are ways in which a human kinsman redeemer operates. But then this language of kinsman redeemer doesn't just uh, show humans working for the benefit of uh, showing the rights and the security and the uh, the honor of the person who is their kinsman, but it also is used of God. It's used of God. So in Exodus 6 and in Exodus 15 and in Psalm 74 and Psalm 77, uh, God is spoken of as a kinsman redeemer in redeeming Israel out of their Egyptian bondage. So God is uh, looked to as a kinsman redeemer. Or as you go forward in the uh, the accounting of the Old Testament in Isaiah 43, God is the one who is going to be the kinsman redeemer, redeeming Israel from the Babylonian captivity. Or in a later text, um, the the love of the Lord is spoken of in terms that 
use this title of king, kinsman redeemer. Um, so here we have Job saying, I know. And what do I know? I know that my kinsman redeemer lives. Uh, this language of living also points to God uh, because God, as you uh, find elsewhere in the scriptures, is identified as the living God, something that we're very familiar with. But what is this kinsman uh, redeemer going to do? At the last, in the end, um, he will take his stand on the earth. Now, the, the idea of standing is uh, idea of standing up in court, uh, coming forth as a witness. And so this is looking to the final uh, the final end, the I, I believe the uh, the final judgment, and God is going to show that uh, whose side was Job on, or better yet, the more important question in all of eschatology for us personally, whose side is God on? And the point that Job is making in this twenty-fifth uh, verse is he is confident that God is actually on his side and that he will be proven to be uh, innocent as, uh, as he uh, uses this language here. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Um, time is gone, but uh, Job uh, understands that God is the one at work in his president in his present uh, harsh and calamitous situation, but God is also the one who will be the testifier, the witness, and God is also the one who will be eternally for him. As you look to verse uh, 25 and 26. So Job's confidence uh, in God acting and God acting in ways that he has the right to act is uh, a confidence that he has in his present circumstances and in his eternal circumstances. Might, uh, might we recognize to the same degree that God is sovereign now, bringing calamity, bringing joy, bringing trials, bringing blessings into our life, to that same degree, God is confident uh, is is sovereign, uh, and we can be confident in him in eternity. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this opportunity to see your hand at work and even the confidence that Job has in what you will do. We pray that we might as we look to eschatology in the weeks ahead, have full confidence in what you teach because of who you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.